This morning we're going to look in Second Chronicles chapter 33. In Dave's prayer this morning, he was mentioned about the message of love, forgiveness, and repentance. And that's what this message is about today. Second Chronicles chapter 33. Beginning in verse 1. A little background on this chapter before that is that Manasseh is the son of Hezekiah, king of Judah. And Hezekiah was a godly king and he brought a lot of reform and uh, a lot of correction and a lot of repentance to uh, Judah as king. And uh, was very instrumental in bringing a spiritual revival in Judah. And he dies and his son Manasseh becomes king at age 12. And that's where we pick up the story in chapter, I mean chapter 33 in verse 1. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. But he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abominations of the nations, whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah his father had broken down. He raised up altars for Baal, and made wooden images, and he worshipped all the, <clears throat> the host of heaven, and served them. He also built altars in the house of the Lord, in which the Lord had said, in Jerusalem shall my name be forever. But he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. Also he caused his sons to pass through the fire in the valley of the sons of Hinmon. He practiced soothsaying, which is fortune-telling, used witchcraft and sorcery, and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. He even set a carved image, the, the idol which he made, in the house of God, of which God had said to David and to Solomon his son, In this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. And I will not again remove the foot of Israel from the land which I have appointed for your fathers, only if they are careful to do all that I have commanded them according to the whole law, statutes, and ordinances by the hand of Moses. So Manasseh seduced Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. There is no doubt the corruption of Manasseh and what he brought on the people of Judah and all the evil that he did says that he was worse than the Canaanites who Joshua drove out of his of Israel out of the land of Canaan and God gave the land of Canaan to Israel because of the corruption and he brought judgment against Canaan the tribes of Canaan because of the things that Manasseh was practicing burning his sons in the fire, offering them up as sacrifices to demons. 
in the first in second kings it also says he shed a lot of innocent blood all over Jerusalem is about as corrupt and evil a man as you can think of he undid all the good that is he tried to do all the good that his dad had done and he had the gall to actually take idols and put them in Solomon's temple and yet does God love this man even though he provoked him to anger? As we continue in this story in chapter 33, in verse 10, after all the evil Manasseh had done, God brings discipline upon Manasseh. In verse 10, And the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they would not listen. So he hardened his heart to the word of God. He wouldn't listen to the prophets. And he persecuted the prophets of God, the people of God. Verse 11, Therefore the Lord brought upon the captains of the army of the king of Syria, who took Manasseh with hooks. If you look at it literally, it's nose hooks. So they put hooks in his nose and they bound him with bronze fetters, bronze chains and they carried him off to Babylon. That's what they do a lot of times to a king when another king captures him, another army captures him. They put him on public disgrace, public display, look like a trophy and they humiliate him publicly and they made him walk back to back to Babylon with hooks in his nose and chains on his hands and his feet. And they made him walk back to Babylon. And they completely humiliated him. And in his humiliation, it says in verse 12, in his dungeon, it says, Now when he was in affliction, he, he implored... The Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers and prayed to him. And God received his entreaty, heard his supplication and brought him back to Jerusalem and his kingdom. And then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. And you say, well, why didn't you know that before that? His dad was a godly man, he had a godly father. He brought revival to Israel, to Judah. And you just read the story of Hezekiah, and it's just amazing. Well, he was 12 years old when he became king. And, you know, and, and, he, and he went, became king in his teenage, and in his teenage years, <laughs> and in his teenage years, he listened to a lot of foolish counselors, a lot of ungodly people, a lot of ungodly influences. And he became this most corrupt man. And why did God have mercy on him? Because that's who God is. So God brought this humiliation on him and disciplined him. He first sent the prophets to warn him, you know, and began to do things to try to humble him. He wouldn't humble himself. He wouldn't listen to the word of God. He went on his stubborn way. And we say, ah, well, he got what he deserved. Go in into, it was dragged off in chains, 
hooks in his nose, embarrassed and humiliated, completely shamed in front of all who would look on him. And off to Babylon he was dragged. But when he was there in prison, you know, he remembered. He remembered the God of his fathers. He says he humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. And he prayed. And that's what God wants everybody to do. No matter who you are, where you're at, you're a Christian or not, he wants you to humble yourself before him and listen to him. And so that's what we should want. If we are a Christian and we're walking with God, that should be the desire of our hearts. That God would turn the hearts of those who have gone astray or those who have not been saved. That should be in our hearts. When we talk about the love of God being shed abroad in our hearts through the Spirit He's given us, that's one of the things that it's talking about. God's love for sinners. Hate sin, yes, but love sinners. Jesus loves sinners. God the Father loves sinners. The Spirit of God has gone out through all the earth to reach out to sinners. Shouldn't that be what's in our hearts too? And we see, I mean, when you see what Manasseh is doing, we don't have a chance to see all the things that Manasseh lived out and all the corruption he did. And people will see that. Many people there might have said, please God, strike this man. Please, you know, discipline and bring, you know, bring judgment on this man for all the evil that he's done. And God didn't do it right away. Why? Because he gave him a chance to repent. He sent prophets to reason with him. And say, you know, judgment's going to come to you if you don't repent. Stop doing this. Turn back to the Lord and everything. Like your father was. He wouldn't listen. So finally, as a last resort, God brought judgment on him and discipline on him while he was still alive. And while he was in prison, it says he, he called on the God of his fathers. He called on the God of his father, Hezekiah. And pleaded with him. It says that God heard him. And not only did God forgive him. Which was the most important thing. But also we read on. Of the grace of God. It says. God brought him back to Jerusalem. Into his kingdom. God heard his supplication. His prayer. And brought him back to Jerusalem. Into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Not only did God forgive him, not only did he get him out of prison, not only did he get him out of Babylon, but he ended up back on the throne of David. God on the throne of his fathers, the kings of Judah. Well, he didn't deserve any of that. Yeah, that's right. We begin to understand God through messages like this, through stories like this. We begin to understand <clears throat> that God is not all judgment. And, and fire and brimstone. That is the last resort. When God brings judgment to this world, it's after great pleading and great judgments that come to plead with them and to repent. In the book of Revelation, it says that God sends His angels out to preach the everlasting gospel. 
Now they're going to be flying through the sky with the with the scrolls in their hand, the Bible in their hands, and preaching it, or they be like men, the people don't even know they're angels, people entertaining angels on the way. We don't know. All we know that God is going to send angels out to the, into the to the ends of the earth to preach the everlasting gospel before the time of His judgment. Last call. It's going to be called by the angels, and then judgment is going to start falling. Gruesome judgments after the removal of the church. While, while the church is having the marriage supper of the Lamb, the final judgments are coming on the earth, pleading with last call. That's who God is. God does not want any to perish, but he wants all to come to repentance. Even a man of corruption and wickedness and evil like Manasseh. Shedding much innocent blood. A murderer. Murdered his own children. And sacrificed to demons. Putting idols of, of false gods in the temple of Solomon. In God's temple. Just one horrible thing after another. Practicing witchcraft. Sorcery. Fortune telling. You say, <clears throat> is there anything evil this man didn't do? But yet, when, when he humbled himself in prison, God was still willing to forgive him. And not only forgive him, not only to get him out of prison, not only to get him out of Babylon, but to put him back on his throne and in charge of Judah again. And I want you to look through the Chronicles and the, and, and the Book of Kings and see that 55 years, if I'm not mistaken, is the most any king reigned in Israel or Judah. So well, why would God do that for him? It's just, a, you know, again, a story of God's mercy and grace. The grace of God... <clears throat> Is huge. Yes, judgment will come, and yes, God is going to bring judgment on those who refuse to humble themselves. So he goes back to Jerusalem, in verse 14, and after this he built a wall outside the city of David on the west side of Gihon, in the valley, and so forth. Verse 15, he took away the foreign gods and the idol from the house of the Lord, and all the altars that he had built in the mount of the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem, and he cast them out of the city. And so now he began to do what his father did, cast out all the idols out of Israel and out of Jerusalem. And he also repaired the altar of the Lord, sacrificed peace offerings and thank offerings, on and commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. Nevertheless, the people still sacrificed on the high places, but only to the Lord their God. <clears throat> they weren't supposed to do that, but they were. They didn't have, as we read later, the book of the law had been missing for some time. We'll read that down the road here, but <clears throat> at least they were just sacrificing at the Lord of God of Israel. Verse 18, now the rest of the acts of Manasseh, his prayer to his God, and the words of the prophets who spoke to him in the name of the Lord God of Israel, indeed they are written in the books of the kings. And his prayer 
and how he received his entreaty, God received his entreaty, his prayer, and all of his sin and trespasses, and the sites which he built high places and would set up wooden images before he was humbled. Indeed, they are written among the sayings of Hosea. And so Manasseh died, he rested with his fathers, and his son Amnon reigned in his place. <clears throat> in verse 21, And Amnon was 22 years old when he became king, and he ruled two years in Jerusalem. <clears throat> he was 10 years older than his father when he became his king. He was 22. So he got to see the reform and the and the revival that his father brought, Manasseh brought when he repented. He was able to see some of that. But he became king when he was 22, but he only ruled two years in Jerusalem. And he did evil, verse 22, he did evil in the sight of the Lord, as his father Manasseh had done. For Amnon sacrificed to all the carved images which his father Manasseh had made, and served them, and he did not humble himself before the Lord as his father Manasseh had humbled himself. But Ammon trespassed more and more, and his servants conspired against him and killed him in his own house. So why didn't God do for Manasseh what he did for, for Ammon, his son, what he, as he did for Manasseh? We don't know. God's working. God examines the hearts. This is part of the mystery of God. But God brought swift judgment on him, but had great mercy to Manasseh. And he wouldn't humble himself, it says, and God brought judgment against him as a warning to others. And then God puts jo Josiah, Ammon's son, on the throne. The people of Israel did that, of Judah. And in verse thirty, in chapter thirty-four, and verse one, and Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he ruled thirty-one years in Jerusalem. Can you imagine that, eight years old, and you're in charge of a whole nation. That means that someone Noah's age was on the throne in Judah. Eight years old, in charge of a whole country. But it says he did right what was in the sight of the Lord, and walked in the ways of David his father. He did not turn aside to the right hand or the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, that would be, let's see, he was 16 years old. He began to seek the God of his father David, and in the twelfth year, four years later, when he was twenty, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the wooden images, the carved images, and the molded images. And they broke down the altars of Baal in his presence, and the incense altars were cut cut down, and the wooden images he carved, and the carved images, and all the other stuff, and made dust of them, and scattered all on the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He also burned the bones of the priests on their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. And so he did in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, and so on. And so he took the idols and burned them 
and the ashes of them, he cast them on the on the graves of the of the priests who had offered sacrifices to those idols. And so you see that this is a man, a young man, a boy, young man, who turned to the Lord and followed the Lord. And it says, in verse 15, Then Hilkiah answered and said, this is in chapter 34, in verse 15, Then Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan, the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. So Shaphan carried the book to the king, bringing the king word, saying, All that was committed to your servants they are doing. And they have gathered the money that was found in the house of the Lord. Verse 18, Then Shaphan, the scribe, told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. Then it happened when the king heard the words of the law that he tore his clothes. Apparently the book of the law had been hidden or put away a long time before this. We don't know how long before it. I guess since the time of King Hezekiah, his great-grandfather. And so now it's discovered. So all this time... Josiah was following the Lord, but had not heard the law. And then he hears the law. And then he, it says in verse 19, Then it happened, when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. And he sent servants, in verse 21, Go inquire of the Lord for me, and for those who are left in Israel and Judah, concerning the words of the book that is found. For great is the wrath of God, the Lord, that is poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the words of the law, Lord, to do according to all that is written in this book. <clears throat> so Hilkiah and those the king had appointed went to Huldah the prophetess. Verse 23, And she answered them, saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and all its inhabitants, and all the curses that are written in the book, which they have read before the king of Judah, because they have forsaken me, and burn incense to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore my wrath will be poured out on this place, and not be quenched. But as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, in this manner you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the words which you have heard, because your heart was tender, and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and against the inhabitants, and you humbled yourself before me, and you tore your clothes and wept before me, I have also heard you, says the Lord. Surely I will gather to your fathers, and you shall be gathered together in your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I will bring on this place and its inhabitants. So then... King Josiah acted accordingly. But you see a man who hears the word of God and he responds and he humbles himself before the Lord. When we hear the word of God and we humble ourselves and we act accordingly. Very different than King Ammon who wouldn't humble himself when he heard the word of God. And God brought swift judgment on him. 
So you see three different kings and how God dealt with each one of them differently. And they acted, they responded differently to the Word of God and how God responded in return. So you see that God is a God of love and mercy, a God of patience, a God of fierce judgment, and a God who rewards those who humble themselves before Him. And understanding God and knowing God, we see how He deals with each of us as individuals. That's why we can't compare ourselves to anybody else. We can learn about how God deals with others, but we must also not compare ourselves to others. And we see the great love and patience that God has. And God calls us to follow in His steps. We shouldn't do any different than God has done in the story of Manasseh. We read this in the New Testament. In God's message through Luke 15, where God is talking about the rejoicing over a lost sheep, the rejoicing over a lost coin, and the rejoicing over the lost son. God loves sinners. He doesn't want them to perish. And He will do what He will to reach out to people to bring them back. And Jesus' call was, Come to Me, all you labor and are heavily burdened, and I will give you rest. Put My yoke upon you. The yoke of Jesus. He said, Put it upon you and learn from Me. For I am meek and humble in heart, lowly in heart. He says, you will find rest for your soul in Him. We find rest in Jesus. And Jesus is saying, come to me. All you're heavily burdened with your sins. And all the corruption, everything else that's burdening you. And all the problems, all the, the things of this life, and all the cares. He says, come to me. He says, I'll unshackle you of that burden. He says... If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. The promise to be filled with his Holy Spirit. Instead of all the dryness and all the darkness and all the whatever, the the fear in our hearts. Replace it, he says, by coming to him. When you're in that spiritual desert, and we as Christians can feel that way sometimes and feel like we're in no man's land. Just come to me. We find refreshment and re-energizing and fulfillment in being filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Apostle Saul's do not Paul said, do not be filled with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, we can try to fill our, our lives as Christians with a lot of things, a lot of activities, a lot of ministry, a lot of things. Fill our lives with a lot of things to appease the flesh. 
But it's because of emptiness in the Spirit that we reach out to be filled with something. If we're not filled with the Spirit, we're going to fill ourselves with something. We come to Him, Jesus said. This is with our relationship with Jesus. And coming to Him regularly that He fills us. That we can handle life. That life is fulfilled in Him. Otherwise, we're going to reach out for other things. Whatever things. And if we've been doing that, like Manasseh, it's time to humble ourselves. And if we don't hear this message, God is going to humble us. He's going to warn us, and then He's going to be, will bring discipline to us and reason with us because He doesn't want to bring judgment to us. And so the call, again, is to come back and to repent. And if we're following the Lord, then we know this message of God's love for us. We're following Him, but also His love for those who are not following Him or who have gone astray. His great love and His mercy and His outreach to us who have gone astray, to those who are backslidden. If we don't get this message, we're going to be like the older son in the prodigal son story, who wasn't happy with his father for rejoicing in the repentance of his son. His other son. What are you doing? What are you? Why? Why are you rejoicing over this son who did all this bad stuff? God loves. Him. Father loved this wayward son. This is the story of God's love. And the Bible says it's the love of God that's shed abroad in our hearts. And that's the question that we ask ourselves today is, are we living out the love of God? <clears throat> the Apostle Paul said that God was reaching out through us to all of you saying, be, be reconciled to God. Make peace with God because God loves you. So, so God was speaking through us and God is speaking through us when we have that vision or walk in that way. Be reconciled to God. And we can say, well, they don't deserve to be reconciled to God. Yeah, well, neither do we. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we might say, well, I didn't do the things that person did or that person. Yeah. Well, I don't think anybody is here that did the things that meant some of the things that Manasseh did. But we begin to see in the story of Manasseh how deep and wide and great. The love of God really is. The dimensions of God's love, as it talks about in Romans chapter 8. And so, it says for the Christian, that day by day, God is changing us and transforming us into the image of His Son. That is... What the Holy Spirit's ministry in our hearts is about. 
But we can slow down that process. We harden our hearts to these truths that are in the Word of God. When somebody wrongs us, we have a stinky attitude. And if we have a stinky attitude, that we somehow, in some way, try to justify that rotten attitude, unchristian-like attitude. We use all every every thing we can reach out to to try to re to try to reason with ourselves. How do I know that? Because that's the way the flesh is. It's the way everybody's flesh is. The pride. All the things that are in human nature. Human nature is like that. And God tells us to put it to death. To crucify it. Recognize it and do something about it. Don't pet it. Don't excuse it. Don't make excuses for the flesh. And recognize the flesh for what it is. And not walk in it. The Bible says to walk in the new man. This is not a message about just when we're feeling spiritual. It's a message about the way we should live. The message of Jesus and the Apostles. Jesus says we must humble ourselves and become like little children. And that's what this transformation is all about that God is doing in our hearts. It's to change us from that person of judgment and pride and arrogance and and comparing ourselves to others and you know exalting ourselves over others and putting others down and all this stuff changing us for that to the attitude of Christ and Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death for who for all the manassas in the world for all the people who have sinned all of us. It doesn't matter the extent or the severity of the sin. God's call is for all to come back. And again, when we look at the story of Manasseh, and we read it, and if we had a video, the life of Manasseh from day to day, When we look at that man and say, well, there's a guy who's going to become a man of God. (laughs) No, he wouldn't. Because he looked like Ahab, King Ahab of Israel, who was married to Jezebel. And God brought fierce judgment on him and the whole house of Ahab, all of his descendants. He looked like him. And so everybody assumed, well, what happened to King Ahab is going to happen to Manasseh. And that's what was in the process of happening. But in God's grace and mercy, He brought him to repentance. As Manasseh humbled himself and called on the Lord, that God heard his prayer, it says, and his, and his entreatment. And 
received him back and brought him back to his, his throne and gave him restoration. You didn't see in this story that God let him live in a little house in the, out in the middle, you know, in disgrace in some island or something like that. God didn't leave him in exile in prison in a dungeon, but forgave him, but he restored him completely. That's grace and mercy. As we grow as Christians, we try to understand this love that God has for sinners. And the only thing that you can end up with is that well, that's just who God is. Some of it's beyond our comprehension. For people, for some people, more than others maybe, but in the end, it's just who God is. And that's what the Bible says in 1 John. It says God is love. And he says we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. For all of us. So, that's what I have today. I'd like to open up to Dave and to Dan. Anybody who would like to... Any brothers who would like to share something on this? Or anything else?